Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Canopy Cast with your hosts Christopher McGurn, John Michael Price, and Michael O'Connor. Canopy Cast is a guest based podcast that showcases an ecosystem of expertise through thought leadership and innovation. We bring people together to provide value for our audience through impactful stories and experiences. Canopy Cast, an ecosystem of expertise. Today's episode is brought to you by Kidcaster. Kitcaster books entrepreneurs on top podcasts. Get on-demand podcast placements scheduled for you by professionals for a flat monthly rate. Where are you in your entrepreneur journey? Validation? Launch? Traction? Scale? Wherever you are, podcasts will take you further. We ain't talking about small talk. We're talking about the good stuff. Real, actionable communication. Find out more and apply today at kitcaster.com. Welcome back to another episode of Canopy Cast. My name is Christopher McGurn with my two co-hosts, John Michael Price and Michael O'Connor. Today we have a very special guest with us, Cynthia Delaria. Cynthia is a tech startup ninja. There's a lot more where that came from, but first, Cynthia, welcome to Canopy Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. So Tech Startup Ninja, first of all, absolutely love that. Tell us, you know, the inspiration behind that and kind of your your background. What got you into, into tech? Yeah, so some days I'm a ninja and some days I'm a junkie. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it just depends on the project and how long I've been banging my head against whatever wall I'm banging my head against today. Um, I actually started writing code when I was eight years old. Um, and just really loved the trick. I've always had like a math and science kind of brain, mostly math brain. Um, and I just loved how with coding, you could like take these very logical, almost algorithmic statements and turn them into really cool stuff like 3D objects flying around the screen and animating and like doing cool stuff, right? And so I spent, you know, the next five, six, seven years learning from books from the library, um, how to write different kinds of code. And, and uh, when I was 15, I had, I had learned how to write code for the internet. Um, and this was back in the early 90s. And so I uh, turned that into a little bit of money on the side by building websites for business owners in my church. And the way that I sold this was I would tell them, hey, if you're not on the internet, this is like the phone book of the future. Like you have to have a listing. You have a listing in the phone book, right? I mean, not having a listing on the internet, that's crazy. And I so the last time <laughs> I saw a phone book. I was like, sorry, sorry. I just, I just was thinking about, I was just like, dang, like, like, uh, I'm like, I hope people years. know what that is when I talk about it. <laughs> That's amazing. No, I, I love that reference. Please continue. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. I, no, I just no, could It's, it's true listen. though. <laughs> um, so I sold a lot of business this way and got a lot of referrals because I, I did a really great job for people. And I've always cared about service. That's always been kind of the the biggest thing for me is if you serve people and you do it really well and you solve their problem, you're, you, that's always going to lead you, you know, down the right path. So after doing this for a couple of years, I ended up in some pretty big circles um, in Southern California, working with some very high profile businesses. And I won a contract that was extremely coveted by a lot of my competitors. And so just before my 19th birthday, one of my competitors came to me and said, 
we will buy all of your contracts, essentially buy your entire company, if you will transition that one relationship and that one client, because they wanted it that badly. So at 19 years old, I did the work and sold my first company. Um, wow. The second time, so it was a few years later, uh, I started my second company and this was when download speeds were starting to get better and companies were interested in reducing their hard costs and their fixed costs in their companies by moving away from updates by sending out disks. I mean, do you remember floppy disks? Yeah. You know, five recorders, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. everybody knows CDs mostly, but you know. I was actually watching something the other day and oh it was an old episode of Sex in the City and she had a zip drive with the with the oh zip goodness. disc and I was like oh my gosh I forgot about those <laughs> <laughs> But this is how wow. companies would either deliver their software initially you know it was through you bought a box at a traditional store or whatever and it had some kind of a, a CD or a disc or whatever inside of it and then if you had to do an update for bugs or something like that there really wasn't a place to do that. It was sort of like you had to buy the next version of the software. So we started working on some early algorithms for doing the downloads. If a download got interrupted because your connection got lost, picking that back up, not having to start over from the beginning. So we worked with a lot of small to medium-sized companies that did box software to transition that into online distribution. And there was a company that was buying up a bunch of companies that had different pieces of this that they really wanted. And we happened to kind of fall into one of those things. And so my second company got, got bought when I was 26-ish. Wow. Um, then I got into commercial real estate in 2007, 2008. That was a huge mistake. And I lost a shit ton of money. <laughs> oh my uh, and I was like, hey, you know what? Startups have always worked really well for me. So I'm going to go back to doing that. Um, and, you know, I, I realized at some point during my journey, I started working with other people who wanted to build startups, who had ideas for technology. And I noticed that not everybody was as successful and at the level of success that I had so early and so quickly and like boom, boom, right in my career. And I had to sort of like break all that stuff apart. And that's where the ninja part comes from because I did so much research and I looked into not just the actions that people that I was working with were taking, but the actions that people were taking in the startup community at large. What was the, what was the mindset of the people I was working with versus my mindset versus the mindset of people that I talked to who I'd never worked with before. And I came up with this whole curriculum that gets started way before most people think they're getting started. So a lot of people go from idea to I need a software developer and they think that that's the natural progression. And there's this whole body of work that if you do it before you ever spend dollar one on building a thing, you will be successful every single time. And it's something that it's, it's just, it's so obvious to me that I, my early clients, I never did the work with them because I just figured that everybody did that. And by the time you're looking for a software developer, you must have done all this work. And so, and a lot of it is product market fit. It's what's the problem and who are you solving it for? And why does your thing need to exist and talking to actual people? Um, so that's also kind of where the junkie comes in because if somebody tells me that they have a tech idea or they, they are working on a startup, like any of those conversations, I, I'm like tapping a line. Like I got to get in there and like dig in and what are you doing and what's working and what's not working. Like I just, I get super excited. Right. And so it's a little bit like an addiction. So, um, <laughs> and that's how I got to where I am today. 
Hi, my name is Cynthia, and I love Mac. That's right. Hi, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> so it, after after my first two companies, I started a third that does. Um, so I, I own a SaaS based uh, company that does software for pilots and crew bidding for schedules for the airline industry. Um, so that thing's been up and running for about seven years now, and it's, you know, extremely profitable, very high margins because it's a SaaS company. Um, and I've worked with, at last count, like 75 to 80 companies in the last five or six years that are at varying levels of where they are um, and had a lot of those be successful and some of them not be so successful, which is how I got to where I am today. <laughs> gotcha. I love that. No, I think it's a, it's a very... I, I love the rap sheet. I, I love the the story that comes with it, though. With the uh, you know starting when you were like nineteen, uh, or even no, you started coding when you were eight, and then you sold the first business when you were nineteen. Yeah. Then you sold a second business at twenty six, and now here you are with the third business, all of which are like successful. I mean that that's it's incredible. Like thank you, thank you for sharing that. I uh, I love that. I love the all the terms you know ninja and junkie both. <laughs> Um, I think it's very relatable too. I know like for us, so we all love that kind of stuff. And like you said, it's, it's addicting. Like it really is. Oh, it so is. And, <laughs> and, and I sort of have like, although I'm not creatively sort of stacked like you are, Christopher, I, I, Michael, I relate a lot to you because I, like I'm a CTO slash CFO for a fintech company that I'm working with right now because give me a pro forma and let me build like complex algorithms to figure out when to ramp up CSRs and when to ramp up inside sales versus outside sales. And, you know, when build up building a profit sharing model. Oh, like that's fun. <laughs> like, like I get excited about it as much as I get excited about writing code or like digging into a startup. I'm like, Ooh, it's pro forma week. Like I love that. My eight week program and we get to the pro forma. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> see, see, that's that's why we make a good wow. team because you're talking about that, and Mike's eyes are like, "Oh yeah, this is a, like candy shop," and Chris and I are just like, oh, "I'm like God. running the other." For all of our listeners who can't see me, I like want to run the other direction at these words that are over my head, and I'm just like, "What is this?" Numbers. <laughs> no, but I, I, that's amazing. Like I. I, it's like I can but can't relate at the same time <laughs> like it's like I know that's <laughs> very important but it's also like Mike knows that stuff Mike's great at that stuff like this is why we make a good team <laughs> like at Mike exactly. on this one yeah <laughs> no that's but it's good I mean I think it's it's so important when you have uh, a, a team of people who you you know you have your creatives you have you know, your techies and then you have your numbers people and you combine them all and then you get a great, you get a great company. You know, yeah, it's totally true. Product. And what's interesting is, so I point out the statistic a lot because I think it's really interesting. Most people think that the reason that startups fail is because they run out of money, right? Everybody's like, oh, they didn't, they must not have had enough money. Their fundraise didn't go well, whatever it is. In 2018, uh, Crunchbase, their research division, CB Insights, did a study about the the number one reason that startups failed in 2018. And they 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 found like 200 startups. You know, they surveyed like a thousand of them, but they found like 200 startups that let them dig into their books and into the nitty gritty and like really like dig in and see all the stuff. 29% failed because of money. They ran out of money or they didn't get enough fundraising or whatever. That was number two. The number one reason, 42% of all the startups that they that they they looked at failed because nobody wanted what they were building. 
that's not a money problem. It might be a business model problem, but it's not necessarily a money problem. And that is all disciplines. Like if your UX isn't quite right, nobody's going to want it. If the tech is too hard and, and you haven't translated that correctly, nobody's going to want it. If it doesn't solve somebody's real actual problem, why would they spend money or change their habits? This is not going to happen, right? So it's just really interesting because that's a problem that, that all disciplines in an organization have to be on the same page in order for that to not be the case. And so it's probably not an accident that 42%, you know, there, there was even companies that were like, oh my gosh, the stuff we're building is so cool and mind blowing and like, oh my gosh, off the charts. And, and we just couldn't find anybody who cared. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the main things, like I know the three of us running our own business, like together, uh, we've learned so many things that it's been absolutely incredible. But one of the main things I know, at least for myself, I'm sure I can speak for these guys is like, you have to be people first. And like, yes. you know, we've had, we've had guests on the podcast say that we've had advisors, mentors, like everyone's like people first, people first. And it's, it's huge from, you know, who you hire, whether it's employees, whether it's clients, whether it's, you're creating a new product and you're trying to, you know, do client discovery, it has to be people first. And if there's enough interest, if it's, if it's providing enough value and positive impact, people are going to pay for it. It's not that complicated. But That's a lot right. of times people are just like trying to make a cool thing for the sake of making a cool thing. And then they find out later, oh, no one really gives a crap and they don't make money and their business. <laughs> so it's like, I, I get it. Like you're, you're really, you're onto something there. Like it's so true. You know, you have to be people first in every way. That's right. And one of my mentors, so he um, came up as an engineer through um, the space program and uh, he worked with very closely with NASA through GE, through some of the Apollo early Apollo missions, and ended up the CEO of a Fortune 100 company, uh, 53,000 employees worldwide. It was, you know, something close to like 20 or 30 billion dollar a year company. And uh, he recently retired. And I said, you know, what's the advice you give to now, understand, what's funny is every time I talk to him about what I do, he's like, Cynthia, I don't understand what you do because I was a W-2 employee <laughs> my entire career. And he's like, so when you start talking to me about some stuff, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much risk in what you just said. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> so he's very clear that he doesn't have, he doesn't have the risk tolerance, but he says the one piece of advice I would give anybody, regardless of whether they're like really risky like you or super risk averse like me is it's all about the people. And he actually has that phrase trademarked, wordmarked, because he, he was planning on writing a book about it and that's sort of stalled at the, at the moment, but it's all about people. Like that's, that's the only thing that matters because you can't execute, if you have a vision for something, you can't execute on it without people. If you have a vision for a thing, you can't execute it if people won't buy it. I mean, like there's always people involved as much as AI and machine learning and everything else is coming into play. Machines aren't buying stuff from you and they're, you, you can't solve a machine problem. It, you know, it like that just, it doesn't work that way. You're, it's, it's about people. <laughs> it's the human, it's the human element. Um, running gag here, all of our listeners and viewers already know what's about to happen, but Michael O'Connor, would you mind? <laughs> we, we always throw Michael under the bus. Oh my gosh. And, uh, it's, it's every time, but really Michael, please share, you know, with our audience once again, and for Cynthia here, you know, what in essence is business and what is it about? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, this is a, this is a recurring thing now. Um, 
<laughs> I just, I just always like to say that business is all, all business is, is people solving problems for people, people right. helping people. That's exactly right. That's the whole shebang. That's once you un understand that and get that down, it's, it's simple. That's right. Um, there yeah. it is. <laughs> I just right. That's right. <laughs> for Michael. <laughs> well, but it's so true though. And it's, yeah. the, it's the very first question. Whenever, whenever anybody calls me and like, I have this idea and it's going to do this really cool thing. And I, you know, and I, uh, I'm like, okay, blah, blah, blah. what's the problem you're solving? Yep. And they go, like, I mean, I have guys who call me and they're like, I came up with this really cool game idea. And I'm like, that's really awesome. What's the problem you're solving? Yeah. And, and it's not that gaming doesn't solve a problem. And that's the thing is they're like, I mean, I don't know. And I'm like, but that, that's a problem. Like, let's work it out. So tell me about other games that exist in this realm and why yours is so much better. And, and why is it more addictive than the other kind? Because if there's ever been a time in our lives when we've needed entertainment, hello, COVID. If you're <laughs> stuck at home for two and a half months with the same damn people for that long, yep. I don't know how many, my screen time has gone way up since February. Yep. <laughs> and it's mostly playing games. Like I have a Sudoku game and I just can't, I'm like, yep, that's what I'm oh, doing. Cause that's I, how I keep my brain working. Right, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I I was I was in uh, in high school and I love Sudoku so I was playing it every day and I got to the point where I started dreaming in Sudoku. <laughs> oh my like, gosh! Okay, yes, I, I, have to oh, I gotta stop. gotta take a break. Because <laughs> I, I was literally oh, everything everything was built. It, it, it was like I was in the Matrix because everything was built in rows and columns of numbers that, that matched. <laughs> and then like all the rows had, you know, the correct and all the, 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 all the columns. If you're a number one numbers. and you step into a row where there's already a number one, you get like shot or something. Yeah. Right? No, but it was literally like the buildings <laughs> and like the street and like people's clothes were all made out of numbers. And I was like, I remember waking up and thinking, yeah, I got to delete that app. <laughs> See, that's the point at which I go, ooh, I'm getting good at it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Integrating it into yeah. See, there's there's the junkie part again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something something that I wanted to talk about too is what one thing that I love, I know we've personally experienced it several times. I'm sure you've gone through this or seen other people do this. So many times when entrepreneurs have ideas or you know they, they want to start this app or whatever it is. I feel like so many times it's like born out of frustration. It's like, what is a stupid issue that I have to keep dealing with? I'm just sick of it. And I'm just going to create a solution for it. And other people can benefit from it. That's like, right. have you personally experienced that yourself or, you know, like from people that you've seen all the time, like kind of like share with us a little bit about that. Cause I know that's like a very common thing for basically everyone in the entrepreneurial environment. Here's what I can tell you about that. People who own businesses, who have ideas that solve a problem in their business, end up making 10 or 20 or 100 fold because they solve that problem for all the other people in their industry. So now they're not only making money off their, their clients, but now they're making money off their competitors. So my SaaS company work, uh, that builds software for the airline industry, it's exactly how we started. Pilots, so so pilots are a very special group of people. If there's any pilots listening, you already know you're special. So when I say this, you're not going to be offended. How I know that is because I talk to hundreds of them, uh, you know, every day. 
So pilots work really, really hard to learn how to fly, to qualify for a coveted commercial pilot position. And then they spend the rest of their career bidding to fly as little as humanly possible and get paid as much as possible to not fly. Okay, it's like this really weird, you know, surgeons train their whole careers to learn how to operate so because they want to cut a lot, right? <laughs> Not pilots, they're like, I'm going to train and I'm going to do all this stuff. And as soon as I get the job, how can I fly as little as possible? It's like this really weird thing, right? So all of the airlines have an automated bidding system. They're built by engineers, Pilots aren't engineers. Pilots are tinkerers, but they're not engineers. So they don't understand how the hell this thing works. Yep. So what happened is one of my one of my business partners is a pilot and a trainer for United Airlines. And he had guys, he figured it out. Like he has one of those brains where he'll just dig in and figure it out and find all the logical pieces until he's got it. And he had people offering him $500, $1,000, $1,500 a month to bid for them because they didn't know what they were doing. They were getting shitty schedules. Wow. Thus, BidNav was born. There it is. And it's a seven-figure seven revenue business with a close to a 50% margin. Wow. We solved a real problem that real people had, and we did it in a way. We're a pilot-to-bidding pilot to system translator is what we call ourselves, right? There's real mm. logic behind what we're doing, but we are translating the way that a pilot thinks – into the way that airline bidding systems think. And it's massively successful and guys love it and they can't get enough of it. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it streamlines the process and makes it super easy. It removes all the friction. Like I mean, Dude, everything. You, you, you go from guys spending hours trying to like build their bids and figure out what does this mean and terms that you're like, what the heck does that even mean? To okay, I, I want this thing and this thing and this thing, and I want this one more than that one, so I'm going to drag that one there. Boom, it's done. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the most satisfying things about any kind of software <sighs> that's done well is just like when there's a complicated problem and you can just do it in a few steps. Like one, like, as, Yay! The, <laughs> yes. as like the creator of it, you're like, yes. But as yes. like the consumer, you're also, yes. <laughs> like, it's, 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 I have like, been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like hello beautiful <laughs> that's right <laughs> i get it uh, so true my, my so true. dream my like dream position in like the entrepreneurial world to get into is to be able to like wake up one day and go to work and get really frustrated with something and then just like tell my team just like make something that fixes that and let me know when you figure it out and like oh, so you want to be elon musk yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or Tony Stark, yeah, yeah right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, something something that's that's really interesting that I, I just read recently. And I, I don't know if it's true, so you know, you, you can't you can't believe everything you read on the internet, but I actually read that when they were I know, I know, I know, I know but I, oh, I actually sad. read that when they were coming up with the character for Tony Stark in the movie that they were asking Robert Downey Jr. like, where are you gonna get your inspiration? He's like, I need to meet Elon Musk. <laughs> wow, I didn't and know that. Actually, I didn't see that. They actually partly that. modeled Tony Stark. No, again, I don't know if it's true, but yeah, I, I it believe makes it. makes sense though. Yeah. I, I, I could see that, I could totally I see that. that. 
let's just get both of them on here and ask them. We'll just yeah, uh, I love that idea. Let's just let's call up Elon and uh, and Robert and just be like, hey, listen, we we need to ask you a question. So what's there funny is. On on uh, I have a business podcast called Incubate This, and yeah. we actually know people who are like one or two degrees separated from Elon Musk, and we've been working for almost a year to get him on our podcast. <laughs> if that happens, I'm gonna tell him, hey, by the way, <laughs> yeah, there's these other group of guys, yeah, and you need to be on their podcast too. <laughs> yeah. Elon, sure. I know you're listening. So. We know you're listening, buddy. <laughs> And we're I, I super also, proud of you yeah. and your and your launch. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. That's, that's yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. He's awesome so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, moral of the story: Elon Musk is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so if if you are an entrepreneur and this is like your first time out or whatever, and you have this big, huge vision, yeah. Here's the thing that you always hear about Elon Musk. I was watching a thing. Uh, like a week and a half ago where they talked about it again. And I was like, God, that's so, so important. And every time I can reiterate it to, to a group of brand new and entrepreneurs, I think it's really critical. Elon Musk back in the early 2000s, actually it was the late nineties, but he didn't really start everything until like 2002, 2003. He had this enormous vision of getting to the moon, getting to space, getting like getting to Mars, these, these huge visions he didn't have any idea how that was going to happen, but that didn't stop him. In fact, he was like, it doesn't matter. I'll find smarter people than me and I'll give them the vision and they'll figure it out. Okay. So again, it comes, it comes back to what we're saying, right? Right. Like it's all about people. Don't let the fact that you don't know how to get from a to double D right now. That's okay. That's not your job. Your job is to have the vision hold the vision and figure out each baby step along the path to get to the thing and to find the people who will help you get to the thing. And Elon is a master at that. He's just a master at getting, building a company that people want to work for so badly that they'll turn down lots of other really cool stuff to go work for him if he makes an offer. Yep. And it's, that's that's one of my my favorite things like when you know when people ask like okay so like you know how do you do this or how do you do that it's like you have an idea okay then you get people who are way smarter and better than you and you surround yourself with them like that's, that's right that's the easiest like you, you don't have to do it yourself I think there's this there's this whole thing of like oh I have to do it myself it's my idea it's my mm. baby whatever and it's like get over yourself and hire people who are better than you because that's right. That's right. The reason you were given the vision or the spark or, you know, that, that lightning epiphany moment is so that you could hold that vision for all the people who are supposed to execute it. It's not because it's, it belongs to you alone. It's just because you're the one who's going to hold it and remind people when the, when the day seems dark and the going is tough and it's like really hard you're going to be like, oh, but remember, I'm the visionary. Let me remind you of the vision because that's the thing that's going to keep us going. Right. Yeah. The thing that I remind people. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that parallel is something that my my granddad always said. Uh, I keep quoting him on here because he's like my mentor growing up. (laughs) You got to get him on I, I know he wouldn't do it. <laughs> he's, he's too private. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he always says, you know, if you want to build a successful company, uh, figure out what your vision is, figure out where you want to go, and then hire the people who are experts and know what they're doing in the places where you don't 
and then let them do their job. <laughs> he's like, get out. He's like, get out of the way. And that's right. I, I love, I love that. That's yeah. right. It, it, that is the key to leadership, by the way. So um, in my career, I have, I've managed big development teams. I've managed small development teams. I've managed multidiscipline teams with product and, and design and QA and development. Like I've done all that, right? The thing that I have learned that is the biggest key to being a successful leader, which applies to entrepreneurs as well, is your the 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 organizational peer you know diagram of most companies is upside down. All of it comes down to you, and your job is to remove roadblocks so that people can do what they do best and do it really well. So I also kind of liken it to everybody wants to own the unicorn, right? Like everybody wants to pet the unicorn, they want to ride the unicorn, they want to love that, they want the they want the the joy of owning the unicorn. Unicorns poop. They have to eat. <laughs> Like you have to muck the stall. They they get muddy. Unicorns like to roll around in the mud and they get muddy and you have to like bathe them and, wa- and brush their hair and all that. Like that's what being an entrepreneur is. You are the mucker of unicorn poop. Yes. Can I please get that on a t-shirt? And I will, I will. I'm actually having t-shirts made. The first time I said that, somebody was like, oh my God, I have to wear yes. that. I will, I'll <laughs> as soon as they come, I'll yeah. send you guys by, some. By the way, you were, you were saying earlier, like, what would I write a book on? Who has time to write? There's your book. That's the book. <laughs> There's, I was There's your book. I will personally endorse that. <laughs> so funny but and it's super true like yeah, you know and is. and it's it's the myth of the overnight success right mm-hmm. so people really buy into there there's this media loves a good dramatic kind of thing <laughs> right and so what happens is whenever they tell a story about a successful startup or or you know a company that's doing really well they paint it as if they were like they just incorporated yesterday Right. And then today they're, you know, Stripe's getting ready to go IPO. And I predict that the stories you're going to hear is that Stripe came out of nowhere, even though they've been doing this since 2007. <laughs> like, and the, and the thing is that entrepreneurs, they get wrapped up in that and they're like, Ooh, six, six to nine months, I'm going to be a millionaire. And it's like, no, 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 it takes time and effort. And that's why the vision has to be so clear because you're going to have to refer to that a lot to keep going. You know, and again, it's the unicorn. Unicorns, the, 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 the birth cycle of a unicorn, you know, a human baby takes about nine months. You know, dog babies take about two months. Unicorn babies, they take like 10 years. That's the incubation period of a brand new unicorn. It's about 10 years. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I love, How to build I love your startup analogy. like a unicorn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the new. That's the new tagline for everything we do. We'll just we'll just call it the new. Like a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> you should you should write a, a, you know the, the the book of like cleaning unicorn poo. So it's like the you know it's like it's like the guide, and then you should write like a companion like anatomy of a unicorn, like the birth cycle, <laughs> the you know all of the all of the fine tuned details, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I'm not, now I'm going to be dreaming about like unicorns and books. And, <laughs> unicorns and Sudoku. Yeah. Oh and Sudoku. Unicorns made out of letters. Oh, and numbers. Yeah. oh God. We're just now getting, we're getting like, now we're getting trippy. <laughs> dream within a dream now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, that, that actually, um, there, there was another question back to the, the airlines and all that really quick. Mm-hmm. 
what you know that's a very specific niche like that's not mm. you know necessarily something that everyone thinks of and obviously that worked in your favor but like what got you into that like why airlines why was it just connections you had and you just happened to stumble across this problem and had a solution for it like where where what's the story there <laughs> yeah so one of my business partners um is a pilot and he's a trainer for united airlines and so he was sort of the guy who was doing you know he was inundated with all these people who were like ah help us and um he had figured out what he was doing. And he was like, I do the same things 99.9% of the time. Like it's very rare that somebody comes to me and says, I want a purple unicorn. And so, and he's like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. You know, I like, I gotta go figure it out. It's like, everybody wants the unicorn and how you do the unicorn is the same every time when you're a pilot and you're talking about your schedule. Right. And so it was, it was, he, he came to me and, and then another friend of ours who, you know, my, my career, although I've gone all the way down the stack into the database and then come all the way back up, I'm very good at translate because I'm good with people. I'm very good at translating what do people need and how do they think into user experience, which Christopher, I guess, does kind of make us kindred spirits because, you know, you're, you're a user, user experience and design guy. And I'm like, yes, I totally get where you're going. and. Um, so it just, it just kind of like, it, it, it was just kind of naturally there. But before we actually started building the thing, we went to other airlines outside of United. We went to other, other pilots outside of the group that was constantly coming to him and asking him for help to make sure that the market size was big enough and that the price point that made us able to deliver on not only the product side of things, but also the service side where guys can call when they have questions and get their questions answered or they're insecure or they're uncertain about what they're doing. They can get all those answers with a human on the other side of the, of the line. What was the price point to make that possible? And were there enough people at enough airlines that it made sense to build the business? And again, all of that came long before there was ever a stitch of code written. Yep. It's like, it's all mapped out before you even start making. It's exactly right. You're, you're creating the plan and then all there is for you to do is execute on the plan and walk the path because the path is clear. And every now and then, you know, a thunderstorm happens and a lightning hits a tree branch and it falls in the path and we say, okay, we gotta, we gotta adjust a little bit and we move the thing out of the way and then we keep going, you know, but the path is there. I just had this horrible vision of a thunderstorm of unicorns and, and Sudoku numbers <laughs> falling down from the sky. I thought you were going to say that the tree crushes the unicorn, but that's, that's where my No, mind. no. Unicorns can't be crushed. Unicorns are very fast. So even uh, even if a unicorn was standing under the tree as it's falling down at the very last minute, they rainbow just teleport. That's right. And they just right yep. over. You know, they build a ramp okay. or they teleport or whatever. Sorry, sorry. I, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, it's okay. I'm bringing you up to speed on the rules of uh, of unicornism because I know this is a very new thing. <laughs> you got to read the book. I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for someone to start a podcast where they bring founders and CEOs on to talk about like their worst mistakes called yeah. unicorn shit. That's right. <laughs> Wait, can, we just, can we just do that now? Can we? Can we do that? I would love. And that. now we come to the unicorn shit portion of our of our show, where we talk about what is the worst mistake you've ever made. Oh my gosh! What are your biggest regrets? No, I'm we should we should add that exactly we should right. add that in. 
We should add that. Well, you totally set. should. You oh. totally should. With my blessing. With my yes, blessing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so along those lines, what was the worst business mistake? Uh, oh, you know what? What was the biggest pile of unicorns? What's the unicorn shit? Uh, yeah. What's yeah. the biggest pile of unicorn shit you've ever had to clean up? How did it happen? And, and what was your solution? Yeah. So it's a really great question, and I'll, I'll give you the the moral at the end. So I, I mentioned very briefly that in 2007, 2008, sort of into 2009, I got into commercial real estate because I thought, hey, I have this huge pile of money from selling my second company, and you know. That's what, that's what really rich people do is they become real estate moguls, right? So I guess that's what I need to do. So um, I did that. I got into a deal that looked really great on the surface. In the summer of 2007, I bought into a building with two other partners um, without having the agreement drafted by an, you know, read by an attorney hint number one. Um, and it seemed like a really great deal because I was going to put in, you know, a, I don't even remember how much, some amount of money. And I was getting checks for like 18,000 a month and 20,000 a month and 15,000 a month. And this just seemed like a really great, like, Hey, look how smart I am. Like in, in the next five years, I'll have tripled my money. Like that's brilliant. This is why people in real estate are so rich. The problem is that the way the deal was written, I got some of the upside and all of the liability, all of the downside was on me as the last partner signing into the deal. So what happened was in about April, the writing started to be on the wall. Our building was still doing okay because we were in a good location. We had really solid companies in our building. So we were, at, we were still, when I bought in, we were about 92% occupancy by April of 2008. We were still sitting at about 86%. So it wasn't too bad. But these other two guys had been doing this a lot longer than me and the writing was on the wall for them. And so they were like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're just gonna have you buy us out of the deal. You can take all the, you know, you'll get all the upside now. It'll, it'll be great. In June of 2008, uh, about a third of the people in our building went bankrupt, which if you know anything about bankruptcy, not only were they no longer paying their rent, but there was nobody to go after for the, the back lease. You know, you do 10-year uh, triple net lease, they're supposed to pay you for the remainder of the lease, even if they don't stay in the building. Well, when you go bankrupt and every creditor in the world on your business is coming after you, your building falls pretty low on the list. So we lost about a third in June. By August, we were at 12% occupancy. And I went from making 20 grand a month to literally August of, 20, 2008, of 2008, I wrote a check for $17,000. And it was in September that the bank came to me and they were like, hey, we aren't confident in your ability to keep writing these checks. So we're calling the loan. So uh, basically they told me how much I had to make up that, you know, they figured that the building would sell for about two thirds of its value at that point, which I was really, really lucky they were being that generous with me. So I basically had to come up with to a third of the cost of the building, which was about twice what I had invested in it. Um, so I, I took everything else that I had in savings. I cashed out every retirement I had. I took my previously in cash house and put a mortgage on it to 95%. Um, I put a loan on my car and I was still about $350,000 upside down. So I literally, you guys, I wrote $350,000 in credit card advance checks. 
now she was really excited because she was like, I didn't think there was any, any way you were going to be able to pull this off. But here I am now $600,000 in debt between my house, my car, my credit cards, zero savings, zero retirement. Yeah. The moral of the story is number one, attorneys are super expensive. There's a reason why. And it's because that could have saved me all that money. <laughs> and number two, stick to what you're good at. Stick to what you know. Because I knew nothing about commercial real estate and it shows in the amount of like complete and utter loss in my life. Now, what I will say, it took me four years to pay off every red cent, including every dime of interest and everything related to that. But I did pay it off. And the next business that I started, which was the, which, which is the airline business, I did things way differently and I learned so much about money and investing and strategy that I, I never have to make that mistake again. So, so the college degree that I didn't finish because I sold my first company, everybody's like, oh my God, that's so amazing. I got it in spades in the commercial real estate industry. I have an, <laughs> I have an MBA in stupid, okay? <laughs> and the hard way, not the easy way, the hard way. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. sharing that though. I mean, that's, I think, you know, it, it's so good for our, for our listeners and viewers to, to hear that because yeah. I think so often, you know, people like to say all the su success stories. Um, but many times people don't want to really share, you know, the, the unicorn shit. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, you know, and congratulations for still being able to recover and, and to get to where you are today. I mean, that's truly incredible. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I, you know, I, I share the, I share that story and I do it. It's, it's pretty vulnerable. I mean, the, yeah. the reality is that in that moment, I lost more money than I had ever made. Even with the biggest successes in my life, I lost all of it. And then some in one, in that one move. And, um, it makes me look pretty stupid. You know, I mean, it's super vulnerable to say, like, I made this huge mistake and I, and I lost and wasted more money than a lot of people with really good careers will ever make in theirs. That doesn't feel good, but it illustrates the point, which is the only thing that defines you as a human, it's not the success and it's not the failure. What defines you is who are you in the face of the success or the failure, and what I have proved to myself time and time again is whether I succeed or whether I fail, I'm always going to try again. And that's the only thing that dis dictates whether someone will be successful or not. Do you get up? Do you keep going? Do you try again? That's it. The one thing that di dictates success is who you are in the face of success or failure. If, you, if you're the same person and you get up and you try again, that's it. That's all there is. So I tell that story because it, I think it's actually more important than the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's, there's a saying I heard a while ago and there's tons of them like this, but the one that I really like to use is two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. So we, you got it. Another episode where, you know, the guy was saying like, if you fall, if you know, if you fall six times, get up seven. Right. And that's it's, right. It's, it's the same. It's all the same mentality. And it's so important. So that's right. I'm, I'm glad to hear you, you know, say that and, and live by my, that. my fiance actually loves to tell, he's, you know, every time I'm like, Ugh, it's, I like, it. you know, I'm working on a project that's just like, 
ah, it's just too slow. Like, I want it now. And he's like, remember that Hershey declared bankruptcy 11 times and didn't actually hit on the candy bar thing until he was 83. And I was like, I don't want to be 83. But the point <laughs> is, he kept getting up. Like, he kept getting up. And that's that's the lesson, right? And, and it's yeah. the it's the reminder from the universe. It's humility, too, right? It getting Getting up again takes being willing to be humbled by whatever knocked you on the mat in the first place and to acknowledge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Um, and that's, oh man, it's, it's really the hardest thing. And it's, it, like I said, it's not a it, product market fit, raising money for your startup, like your tech, whether it's cool or not, like your UX, your design, none of that matters if you can't get up off the mat enough times to go to the distance. And that's really why the number of businesses fail that fail. It's, it's none of the other stuff. It's because people give up. They just yeah. stop, you know? I, I just want to say too, you know, I think that's a, a really big, you know, kind of like lighthouse moment for, for people listening in too. Cause you know, I know we have a lot of friends that have student loans and they're like, Oh, like, you know, it, it, like $50,000 in student loans. And I'm like, well, this, this girl over here. I'll like, trade you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, it just goes to show like you can turn it around if you, if you really want to, you just have to set your mind to it. Um, and it, it's not, it's not always as bad as you think it is. That's right. It's almost never as bad as you think it is. It, you know, and it, and to be fair, if you've never had debt before and you come out of college and you're making 35 grand a year and you've got 50 grand in debt, that's, that can feel horrible, like debilitating, like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to get out from underneath this. Except that if you keep saying that, it will be true. What you say and your mindset about it, if you, if you can look at, I mean, I stood with zero anything to my name and $600,000 in debt. And I was like, well, there's a mountain I can climb. And that's what I did. If I had been like, oh my gosh, like it's just the end. I mean, to be totally transparent, I went to a bankruptcy attorney. I went and sat in his office and told him the story. And, and, and with an empty notepad, he sat down his pen and he put, he crossed his hands and he looks at me and he says, you can't declare bankruptcy. He's like, I mean, you qualify. There's no, there's no question about it. Like a, 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 a court will award it to you, but you can't. He's like, if you do, you're never going to do it again. You'll go work for somebody else for a hundred thousand dollars a year, $150,000 a year, and the world will miss out. You can't. And holy crap, like where did that bankruptcy attorney come from, right? But thank God, because I walked out of his office, I sat in my car, I cried for about five minutes. And then I looked at what, what was in front of me and I was like, this is my mountain, I'm gonna climb it. I'm gonna figure it out. So. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know we only have a few minutes left. So guys, I wanna kind of turn it over into to final questions. Uh, that we have for Cynthia. Cynthia, if you have any final questions for us, uh, now is a great time. I'll go ahead and start us off with that. Please tell me about this this duck or whatever it is behind you. I'm, I'm very curious. <laughs> yes. yes. I've been looking at it the whole time and I'm just, I really want to know what it is in the story real quick. <laughs> so a very, very, very great friend of mine um, is, a, she's a sculptor and, a, and she does a lot of her sculptures in bronze. So, so his name, he is Sit and Duck. 
and um actually no this one that's duck blind i actually have another one here i'll show oh, you him too so sitting duck is actually over there on my table that's amazing okay, so the story between the two of them is <laughs> she's the girl and she's got her legs crossed that's why she's duck blind and he's the little boy and he's like checking her out and he's yeah. like all like wide open like hey and she's he's like strutting his feathers yeah so. yeah so <laughs> That's I also have another one of hers that is a little, uh, I've been a dancer and a singer since I was like four. Oh, wow. And so okay. I bought, I bought her little pirouetting pig that's called Swine Lake. Mm. Wow. That's <laughs> well, if, if people were on YouTube, they are now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, for all of our yeah, listeners. You gotta, you gotta watch the video to see the ducks. Exactly. Check it out on YouTube. Make sure to see the ducks. Worth it. That's amazing. Yeah, any any final questions for you Cynthia, guys? Cynthia, you just you just really seem to have your ducks in a row. That's that's what I gotta say. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Can we just end it? Can we just... Shut up, Bo. And thanks for thanks for tuning in, everyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that hurts. All right, Mike, Mike's not allowed to ask any more questions. So John Michael or Cynthia. You're on timeout, Mike. You're on timeout. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like silent bob yep <laughs> no i i think i'm good i just want to say you know thank you for um being real i know a lot of people need to hear that and we've had uh we've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people on this podcast that have gotten real with us and it's really refreshing to hear you know those ups and downs um specifically the downs of people that are successful and you know their advice on how to get through it so i just want to say you know thank you for being vulnerable and, and opening up yeah it's my it's my pleasure and thank you guys so much for having me on today and you know i listened to a couple of episodes of yours before um coming on and and i i love the kind of people that you guys are interviewing and i love how authentic you guys are um so i'm i'm really 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 glad to have been here and and i i would love to find a way to get elon musk on your podcast you'll be like yeah. that was the best interview we ever yeah. did because then elon yeah. musk yeah. came on it was so great <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. Yeah. and we'll we'll definitely have to do a part two eventually because i i know there's definitely more to uncover here yeah i would love that it would be great awesome. That's awesome. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the tech startup Ninja and Junkie, the unicorn expert with her new book series on unicorns coming soon. Thank you so much, Cynthia Delaria, for, for joining us today on, on Canopy Cast. It was truly an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. My, same right back at you. Of course. And for all of our listeners and viewers, we'll catch you next time.